todo el mundo. Was really... 1881. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the film The Ventures Stars on Guitars. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast for people who love music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. I'm Stacey Lane Wilson, your host, and my guest today is Todd Kearns, a multi-instrumentalist and vocalist who's played with several bands, including one of my favorites, Slash, featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. He's got a new endeavor, Heroes and Monsters, and we're going to talk about all that and more. Hi, Todd. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to talk about your new band, which I mentioned um, in the intro. Um, you know, like sometimes I feel like I'll never have time to delve into all the music that I want to listen to. I mean, there are so many albums from my favorite eras, the 70s and the 80s, that I haven't even heard yet, <laughs> you know, so it's hard to keep up with new music. But when I heard your album um, with Heroes and Monsters, I was really blown away. I mean, it sounds classic yet fresh, and I'd love to know how and why the band was formed. Um. Well, a lot of it is complete happenstance and and just, uh, you know, um, just the way things kind of have worked out during things like the lockdown and, and the pandemic and all that sort of sitting in this very room, getting a phone call from Will Hunt, um, just talking about uh, he and Steph were working on this project together. Would would I be interested in, in, in checking it out? And it just sort of went from there, really. I mean, honestly, the fact that I hadn't been up to much because it was locked down. Um, I was like, yeah, I do have the time, you know, so uh, it, it just sort of uh, happened really is, is, is the best way to, to, to say it. It just kind of, you know, we worked on a song and it was great. And we worked on another one and another one. And the next thing you know, you have an album and that's sort of that, you know, it really wasn't a lot of uh, um, a thought or plan put into it in terms of what it should be or what it shouldn't be. Usually when a band writes a bunch of songs, you can sort of carve out 10 songs, these 10 songs or these 10 songs or these 10 songs and sort of present uh, an entirely different vision of a band. You could take I mean, like most of the slower songs 
and put them on a pile, you know, in a in a 10 song playlist and it can change the entire vibe of the band. So it we just kind of like, let's just write a bunch of songs and whichever ones we feel the most strongly about, we will uh we will include. Well that might be why it sounds it does sound really fresh. Like I said, it's like it sounds very spontaneous, maybe because you didn't put so much forethought into it. I think so. I think the the, the real challenge was being able to make it sound um like a band, like, uh, you know, for lack of better words, things like authentic, because we were making it remotely with Will in Florida. I'm in Vegas and and uh, Step was in uh, Milan, Milan, wow. Italy. So so it's like, um, you know, bouncing stuff around, sending it around. This is really normal these days, by the way. Even bands that have been together for a long time are doing stuff remotely because um just due to convenience and stuff like that I, I am actually from the school of you know we get together we get in a room together mm -hmm. we, we rehearse it we go into a studio together we make the record that's what I prefer to do but um I am growing more and more comfortable within this world of uh and just the idea of the convenience of, of being able to do these things within our own studios at home well that might change the entire dynamic that um you know, like you think of Fleetwood Mac in the studio and all the dissent and the affairs going on and all the crazy stuff. I and mean, we're not going to have any fun stories 10 years from now, are we? <laughs> well, I think those same kind of dynamics play out. It just might be, you know, in different circumstances. I think the recording process has been an evolving thing, you know, since as far back as then. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the idea of, you know, Elvis or the Beatles had to be in the same room together because that's the only way you could make records was to record this right now with this group of people as time has gone by. In reality, most records are made, um, you know, often the band will be together to get the drum tracks down. And I'm only going by experience based on within rock and roll. It's different in hip hop. It's different in pop. It's different in all the different genres. But, um, you know, the band is together getting the drum tracks down once the drum tracks are down, the drummer's gone, you know, and then everything else, the mm -hmm. bass, the guitar, all that kind of stuff is usually done independently of everybody else. I would go in and play with my bass parts. Um, no one else is really there. I mean, Slash and those guys kind of come in and out, but they're not like hanging around the studio, you know, like some sort of, uh, I don't know, like an almost famous kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, yeah, it generally, I read uh, Don Felder's book recently, and he was talking about the Eagles, who also yeah along well at all but he would say you know he'd find himself in the studio alone a lot you know yeah that's generally how that works and i think you know whether you're playing guitar or or the singer singer is always in there by themselves i mean most people don't really want to hang around while stuff like that stuff like that's happening so it's just kind of uh -huh. like um you know i think i think and, and like a lot of things you know musicians like anybody else enjoy downtime as well i've done my parts i can go you know to whatever restaurant I want or wherever mm -hmm. I want to go and, and let these guys do the work. So it's generally the way these things work. So there is a remote, um, remote, uh, productivity happening even within that sort of world as well, as opposed to, uh, you know, five, four, five, three, four, five guys hanging around a studio, just sort of in each other's lap for two months, <laughs> making yeah. a record that would be, you know, a steel cage match after a while. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, um, well, as I mentioned in your intro, you have been in a lot of different bands, um, you know, and going back to sort of the era of classic rock, um, say from the late 60s through the 70s, um, it seems like bands lasted for years with no or few personnel changes. Um, 
why do you think that shifted? I mean, there's more variety now. I'm thinking of all the shows and movies on various platforms. Um, has music followed suit to where like one band isn't enough to satisfy you? I think, I think it's different. I mean, the, the dream is that you're 19, 23, somewhere in that age range, you put together a band, Aerosmith or Kiss or whatever, and then you're 75 and you're still in that band. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's sort of the dream. Um, of course, you, we could talk about those bands right there and talk about all the ups and downs and members coming and going from those particular projects as well. Um, and the different side projects those bands have had as well. But, um, you know, those are guys that benefited from a time where they were not dealing with... Uh, it was such a different time. You know, you, you made records, um, so your income was based upon um record sales and then touring was augmented you know augmented that that sort of that sort of uh revenue stream if you want to call it that i hate uh -huh. business talk it's such grown-up nonsense but um <laughs> right. uh but it is true in this day and age where you know you you have to take into account that the record sales um numbers are basically no longer part of the conversation in most cases um, you know, bands like Aerosmith and Kiss are perfect examples of bands that don't release new music because it became sort of, I, I mean, I don't know what their motivation uh, to make music is. I think that they, like anybody else when they were younger, were making music because they love to make music. Mm -hmm. But it became more and more of a, you know, it, it wasn't the main reason to, to, to be making music anymore. You you want to go out and tour and 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 that's where your, your, your bottom dollar is. Um, the actual act of recording and writing and making music became kind of a, a lost cause which is a real crime unfortunately because for guys like me I just like writing you know I like writing I like creating I like being a part of new music um all the different projects that I'm a part of have sort of a, a different um everybody thinks like oh my god you have so much going on and and I do and I don't you know I mean it's sort of like with Slash you know when we're doing the the Slash uh, SMKC with the conspirators it's sort of it's full on like with the recording process the the touring process is all encompassing we really can't do much else other than that gig um things like Bruce Kulick we only do that on occasion kiss cruises and things like that so there really has its moment it really has its own place to do that um took my band that I do with the Canadian guys uh it has its time and place as well. Corey Churko is about to go off and do a, a, a tour with Shania Twain. Hmm. So that sort of removes it out of my um, realm of possibility. So it makes way for things like Heroes and Monsters, where 2023 is kind of like, well, I'm, I'm focusing on that. That's sort of how this works. Um, I'm not really good at downtime. I mean, I love downtime, don't get me wrong, but I think it's important that... Um, that we we fill our time with something productive and something creative and somewhere to go i think that you know time goes fast and uh in the blink of an eye it's you know maybe it might be too late to be doing this anymore as far as you get older and 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 your priorities change and uh i just want to keep making music while i can so the idea of like not you know making records and all that may not be the priority is not necessarily that the records are where the money is but to me it is still going to be the main reason why i do this is that i like to make music i like to create i like to be a part of something new and something fresh 
and um, a song that didn't exist yesterday exists today. And, and someone will walk up to you and go, I love that song. And you go, well, thank you. I mean, that, that literally did not exist, you know, and now it exists and now someone enjoys it. And that to me is important. Um, so in the meantime, while, you know, as soon as slash feature Miles Kennedy, the conspirators goes on hiatus, I'm free to do whatever I want. And I do, I do basically whatever I want, you know, uh, I, I really can't, if there's not a reason to say no to something, I feel like, hell yeah, I'm going to jump in. Why not? Yeah. Well, I mean, also you play several instruments and like you said, you write a lot of songs. You're also a lead vocalist. I mean, to me, it sounds like a, a hard rock Freddie Mercury, which is really a cool sound to have. Um, but is Well, there that's nice thing? to hear. Yeah. I mean, is there one thing that you prefer doing though? Um, that's really uh, strange to me because when I first started playing music, I was a bass player. You know, I just was happy to be in a band. I was thrilled to just be playing music. You know, I just was like, I just would have been happy to just be the guy over in the corner just doing his thing. You know, um, I loved everything about playing music. I loved everything about being in a band. Um, you know, it slowly became more and more a thing of like, you know, hey, have Todd sing this song. Here, sing this. Here, sing this one too. And the next thing I realized, I had sort of, you know, become the lead vocalist without any sort of interest in in being a lead vocalist. Just sort of, you know, for whatever reason, you 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 win the 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 least worst vocalist in the room kind of contest. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're the lead singer. And then, you know, within that comes a whole other um, bunch of challenges. Uh, and then, you know, once we get into writing songs. It's a very difficult thing to say because I, I, you know, within Slash's world, when we play together, I, I'm essentially the bass player. I do carry a giant chunk of vocal um, stuff, but Miles is, for all intents and purposes, is the lead vocalist. You know what I mean? And I'm perfectly comfortable with that. I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, again, you remove that and I go, okay, well, I have some songs and I have some ideas and I have some things. So I think the the default thing I go to is as a vocalist, I guess, once once I'm taken out of that world, I kind of immediately head into, okay, well, I want to sing these songs. I've written these songs I want to sing and I want to play them. Um, I uh, very much love playing bass. Um, I was always a bass player up until my youngest, my younger brother picked up the bass and I said, well, okay, let's put a band together. You'll be the bass player and I'll be the Paul Stanley rhythm guitar player guy and singing in the middle, you know, and that's sort of when I moved over to guitar in a very sort of Malcolm Young, Keith Richards, Paul Stanley rhythm guitar way. I, I have never really been interested in, in being Steve Vai. I was always more interested in um, just great rhythm guitar. And, and that's still a part of my life with Bruce Kulick and with a, a bunch of other projects that I do Took. Um, stuff like that. I, I I really enjoy that. And I think there's a real art to being that kind of guitar player. You know what I mean? And I think that that's important too. So you're not wrong in that when I get to step out of that one world, there's a hundred other things I like to do. So um, in some projects, I'm just the singer, you know what I mean? Like uh, you know, walking up without a guitar on at all is like perfectly comfortable for me. Um, playing bass is is one of my all-time favorite things and playing guitar is 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 a pleasure you know so to me it's kind of like it's all win 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 every time i get to go and, and do a new project or step on stage with whoever i'm stepping on stage with it's like it's just a joy you know how 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 couldn't it be really 
Yeah, uh, my dad was a rhythm guitarist. Um, oh, wow. Ventures, yeah. So he was, you know, like one of those guys that was in the same band for 60 years. <laughs> That's right. I mean, but, yeah. I, I, I'm I, such a fan. I mean, honestly, like we, uh, a friend of mine used to collect the Ventures uh, Mosrite guitars. Oh, yeah. And uh, had quite a collection of them. And I was like so jealous of, of his, uh, he was a left-handed guitar player, but he would collect you know the guitars and they were uh -huh. i think he did end up having a left-handed version of one but yeah i mean the ventures were the coolest and and probably the most in, one of the most inspiring um guitar playing bands that there ever was i mean you know a lot of people picked up guitars because of your dad and because of those guys i mean oh absolutely yeah you know, yeah it's really and i see um we are you know this is an audio podcast but i'm looking at your lovely studio there with all those guitars it's just beautiful I know it's 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 an addiction that has come out of control. And this is this is only this room, sadly. I oh mean, there's a, whole, wow. there's a whole house and then a storage unit full of guitars. It's bananas. But um, you know, I think it it is a um, it's a passion. You know, I mean, like it really just you know, if you love what you do and you love music, you just sort of fall ass backwards into like, ooh, look at this one. Ooh, they have it in white. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I got to buy both of those. You know, and and I've slowed down a lot over the years. I've sort of um kind of more been choosy about what i get and and what i uh what i uh you know am i really going to use this because unfortunately when you have this many guitars you sort of have things that just sort of like i have an eddie van halen guitar right there that i don't yes, really I play that. yeah i don't really play it i just bought it like you know long before he passed away i just sort of i saw it and i was like oh i have to have that and i and i just sort of keep it as a uh you know, as a piece it's of beautiful. art, it's really. Yeah. Of art. yeah, it really is. Yeah, and I think yeah. that you know, since he passed, it becomes even more important in its own. Oh, way. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's iconic. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you have another new instrument, which I saw on your Instagram. Um, the bass. Uh, the <laughs> bass. Yeah. I mean, since I started writing the Rock and Roll Nightmares True Stories book, I learned a lot about Jacko Pastorius. Um, who's generally seen as the greatest fretless bassist of all time. And then yes. saw that you picked it up recently. So, but for non-musicians like me, can you explain what the difference is? I mean, is it a different sound that we hear or is it only different for the player on a fretless? No, it's it's 100% different. I think, I mean, I've had it for a long time, the fretless bass, and I've brought it in on many occasions to recording studios on different projects that we're doing. And, and I've always been like, I want to try this on this song and I've been vetoed out on a couple of occasions just because people were like, I don't know if that's the right thing to use for this. And I'm like, okay, because most of what I, I do is a very rock and roll, you know what I mean? Like very loud, yeah. aggressive rock and roll. And, um, but a lot of the guys like Jocko and uh, Tony Franklin, uh, who's a good friend of mine from the firm. Oh yeah. I remember seeing the firm and at the LA forum and I was really, course. I think that was the first time that I really noticed a bass player in the bass and it really just brought so much to the band well he had a lot of hair too so he was <laughs> well, hard to miss. Too. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh jeff ament from uh well he's in pearl jam now but when i was a kid he was uh green river and mother love bone you know he, he's always been very adventurous with fretless bass and um 12 and 8 string basses and stuff like that so i mean i, I i'm one of those guys whenever i go into a session i have like a four string bass and i have um but i bring like a lot of fretless i bring my 12 string i bring all this craziness we usually de facto back to just a regular bass but i like having the um 
the ability to kind of like, you know what, you want to swing from the fences a minute, let's let's do this. Um, I used an eight string on a song called Bad Rain on the 2012 record, uh, Apocalyptic Love with Slash, but, but I haven't really done the fretless thing yet. But the fretless sounds immediately different. Sting is a big fretless guy. He, he plays fretless, but Sting also comes from the upright bass, which I have right here. So I get around on that as well. The upright yeah, bass was Nielsen of Las Vegas here. All those instruments. I know, I know. Yeah, it's 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 almost embarrassing, but but luckily I have a, a very understanding wife. But nice. the upright the upright bass is something that I kind of um, I've always been really loved uh, rockabilly, but I found the guitar playing so intimidating. Um, so because it's just it's just next level guitar playing. So, but I always loved watching. Uh, guys play upright bass and 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 getting around on it. There's a real skill to it, which I'm not particularly strong at, but I loved the idea of being able to sit down and just sort of, because on, on these particular instruments, there's no markings at all that show you where you are. It's all based on your ear being able to tell where the notes are, you know? Wow. So it's a, it's a real, um, a real challenge and a real sort of uh, practice in just getting your ear toned. And I think that that's, some of what is going on 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 a fretless electric bass um jocko like me has frets had frets on his on his bass which is a different animal altogether and guys like tony will will and i've had these conversations with tony many times about um even on fretless bass it's it's more about your ear than what the fret markings are telling you you know i think that's true on on any guitar really is you get to know guitars well enough to know that this string the G string always tends to uh, flatten or whatever. And you're kind of working around the inconsistencies of whatever guitar you have. I don't think anything is meant to be perfect because that's not the design of guitars is rarely perfect. You know what I mean? Um, on occasion, you will find sure that guitar stays perfectly in tune. Um, and you're very fortunate to have that. But most of the time, uh, it's more about training your ear and tra training your own ability to to work with it. So fretless bass is, is very much about that. Very different tone, very different Guys like Tony are so damn good. He can play fretless bass, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to sound like a fretless bass. He's just playing bass. You you wouldn't really notice because he's so accurate and so damn good that it's it's not noticeable. Most of us, when we dig into a fretless bass, we're doing it for the very purpose of sliding, um, like lots of slides and things that like that that don't have the fret markings to uh, to stop the uh, this flowing sort of like fretless kind of dreaminess to it and uh that's part of the fun of, of those instruments so again it's just something i kind of uh, i've always had one around and every once in a while i pull it out and i go and just the other day i was you know i'd heard even flow and i went like how is jeff amant doing that um harmon it's called a sliding harmonic and i and i and I, I went down a couple of rabbit holes and then i went to tony and i said i'd learned how to do it and then i went to tony i go look what i learned and of course, I, I'd seen a video of Tony doing it as well. And, uh, you know, to be this far in the game and learning something new is kind of like, well, there you go. You know, I mean, it's never too late to learn. Slash is one of those guys who's always sort of like, you know, he's a, if you listen to like what he played in 1987 versus what he's playing in 2023, he's branched out completely because he didn't really kind of go, I'm good. Like he didn't sort of like have right. an expiration date in 1992 and said, this is as much as I need to know. He's always pushing himself. And I think that that's kind of important for all. Of I'm a better singer today than I ever was, you know, and I think it's just more a case of uh, just the just getting out there and doing it, really getting digging in. And 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 
I call it street fighting because I'm not trained in any of these instruments or on my voice. It's not like uh, I was at the dojo, you know, being taught these skills. I, <laughs> I had I had to learn in terrible punk rock bars everywhere on the planet for 20 years before uh, I got to graduate to, you know, better situations. And but I think I'm better for it. I think I'm better prepared for whatever comes my way at any time. It's just the way it works. Well, I can't let you go without asking my usual question. So, what is your own personal rock and roll nightmare? <laughs> <laughs> now, it can be a true story or something, a worry, something funny, anything. I've had many rock and roll nightmares. When you've been doing this as long as I have, most of them, you know, as they're happening, and I've had conversations with people about this in life when something really terrible is happening, but you keep thinking to yourself, well, this is going to make a great story. You know what I mean? I mean, I've had plenty of uh, of stories where um, we were playing this. My band was playing this really small town in Canada once, and uh, we were playing like a a multiple night stay in this place. First of all, I got there and I was really sick. I had like some kind of lung infection and I wasn't doing well. And we were in this crappy old hotel that was sort of caving into itself. Oh, so it would kind, of, you know, how like the building itself was kind of like caving into the middle. So you would wake up at the sort of like head of your bed like what the hell's going on and um i was sleeping in a me and the drummer were sharing a room together and we were sleeping in what looked like these high sort of almost hospital cots <laughs> they were kind of like like you felt like you were in like a like an insane asylum or something basically and uh that that drummer claimed to he turned the light on in the middle of the night he goes what are you doing and i'm like you know what are you talking about and he goes I swear to God, there was somebody just standing right here. I thought it was you. And I go, I'm, I'm in bed. What do you, I was asleep. So he had seen ghosts and uh, the sound guy had seen some stuff in his room. And, and then the, 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 the manager of the bar was like bringing girls up to our rooms while we were on stage, you know what I mean? Like, like being like inappropriate in our oh, hotel rooms while we're playing. And like, and I'm like, this is a total. And then when we left, they refused to pay us. And there was like, uh, you know, threats of guns being drawn on us. And we had to call the cops and the cops came and they finally gave us our money and we left. I mean, that's just one of many. I've, I've had every possible nightmare there is as far as like tearing your pants on stage, falling on stage multiple times. Um, I've had stuff, everything thrown at me. We've had people storm the stage. We've had you know, barroom brawls. I've seen it all. Like oh it's it's weird to think about now because everything's so much different than it was. But it, it really makes you realize that there's a real fine line between like order and chaos, especially especially in rock and roll, because it's sort of you know you're just kind of doing your thing, and the next thing you know, it's um, complete chaos can can erupt. You know, and you're <laughs> like, I did not foresee this happening today, but here we are. You know, yeah, and you're still here to. Tell your story. Tell the tale. So, yes. So um, I see that you're slated to play the Monsters of Rock Cruise in April. So what are the details on that? And what's next for Heroes and Monsters? Unfortunately, the cruise, we have pulled out of the cruise because oh, okay. Took was doing the cruise, but Corey Churko now is um, has has the um, Shania Twain tour has come up. Oh, right. So, okay. so we had entertain the idea of of having someone fill in and then we just sort of looked at each other and said you know what it's it's why do it if it's going to be 
you know, not, not the same thing. So we just decided to kind of put that on, on, on ice for a minute. And then um, Heroes of Monsters goes back out to Europe in July. In the meantime, I'm here in Vegas. I sit in with my friends at the rating, the rock vault show at the Rio here in Las Vegas, which is moving to the hard rock in mid April. So right. yeah, it's fun. I mean, Blas Elias from slaughter and a um, bunch of my friends, you know, white snake guys and, heart and a bunch of different bands we all kind of play together and it's it's a blast it's something yeah. that keeps me keeps me out of trouble i've got a bunch of recording projects um uh that i'm working on currently and then uh yeah and it's business as usual i mean once once uh uh the slash uh camp probably won't reconvene until towards the end of the year and probably into next year so i'm free to do whatever i want and I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you will. Yeah, no, I saw you at uh, Count Stamped. And so mm. highly recommend the oh, thank you. Todd Kearns experience. So thank you for being here. And um, good luck with all your endeavors. Thank you so much. 100% my pleasure. Before I go, I'm going to share an excerpt from Rock and Roll Nightmares True Stories Volume 2 which is currently being made into an audiobook read by Andy Garrison. But for now, it's me. This is from the chapter Stage Fright. Most musicians have been surprised by an errant electrical current at one time or another. An improperly grounded microphone, loosely connected amp, or steel string guitar could easily become lethal. Les Paul, a pioneer in the invention of the solid body electric guitar, knew the pitfalls all too well. I was in the studio and I had just built a transmitter. I stuck one hand in the transmitter and the other was on my guitar. It was like being struck by lightning. I fell to the floor. I couldn't speak. I couldn't holler for help. I couldn't open my hand. My grip just kept getting tighter and tighter. My whole chest was strained. Fortunately, my bassist came into the control room and saw me and threw the main power switch just in time. Apparently, Jimi Hendrix was never zapped, despite the fact he played the electric guitar with his teeth, used the mic stand for a slide guitar, banged into the speakers for feedback, and set his axe on fire with lighter fluid in proximity to various plugged-in cables. Stone the Crow's guitarist, Les Harvey, wasn't so lucky. The young Scotsman joined the 27 Club on May 3, 1972, after being electrocuted by an ungrounded microphone while tuning up for a performance at the Swansea Top Rank in Wales. Chances are you've never heard of Stone the Crows, but at the time of his premature death, Les and his blues rock band were positioned for stardom with support from members of Led Zeppelin with whom Stone the Crow shared a manager, Peter Grant. Stone the Crows, which is an exclamation of surprise or uh, shock, before that they were called power, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, got together in 1969 and were comprised of Les on guitar, his fiancee Maggie Bell on vocals, James Dewar on bass and vocals, Don McGinnis on keyboards, and Colin Allen on drums. While none of the musicians had ever written songs, they had an ace in the hole thanks to Les's friendship with fellow Glaswegian Lulu, who was married to Morris Gibb of the Bee Gees. Morris said, Leslie, you've got a guitar. Write the tune first, then put the lyrics to it. Maggie Bell recalled in an interview with Louder Sound. That's exactly what we did. While they never had hit singles, their album sales were solid. 
The band, which had replaced McGinnis and Dewar with Ronnie Lehigh and Steve Thompson, respectively, were touring in support of their third album, Teenage Licks, When Left Lost His Life. It was a fluke, Maggie said. The rest of us were standing at the side of the stage. We hadn't even started yet. Leslie said to the audience, there's a technical hitch, and he touched the microphone and the guitar, and that was it. We heard this deep humming sound, Colin added. Leslie had the microphone in one hand and his guitar in the other, and they kind of went together, and then like an arc shape appeared. I was up really quickly and kicked the guitar out of his hand as he was lying on the floor, but it was too late. The promising young musician died in front of 1,200 fans and his bandmates. This concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time...